Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page and on Twitter at burn555555. I love finding useful bookish things, and I recently bought some very reasonably priced, beautiful bookmarks from Wendy of Wendy's Book Club on Instagram. I posted a photo of them on Instagram this week, so you can check them out there. I don't like to bend the pages of my books, so I end up leaving bookmarks all around the house. These are perfect for that approach because they are inexpensive, but so pretty. You should check them out if you're in the market for new bookmarks. Today, I am interviewing Erica Roebuck about The Invisible Woman. She is the national best-selling author of Hemingway's Girl, Call Me Zelda, Fallen Beauty, The House of Hawthorne, and Receive Me Falling. In 2014, Roebuck was named Annapolis's Author of the Year, and she resides there with her husband and three sons. I absolutely loved The Invisible Woman and included it in my February Buzz Reads and my winter's most anticipated historical fiction roundup for She Reads. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Erica. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Cindy? I'm doing great. And I'm so, so excited to talk about The Invisible Woman. I read it, I think it's been several months ago now, and I just loved it. It will definitely be one of my favorite reads of 2021. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Well, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about The Invisible Woman? This is about the true story of Virginia Hall, a woman from my home state of Maryland, who helped to liberate the villages of France from the Nazis during World War II. And she would have been extraordinary anyway, but she was even more extraordinary because she had a prosthetic leg. So everything she did had even that much more difficulty. That was the part that just really stuck with me over and over again was that she did this with a prosthetic leg instead of two legs. And all that she was doing was stuff I couldn't do with both of my legs. That's exactly how I felt. And if I had made up her story, no one would have believed it. That's so funny that you say that because that's a theme that comes up over and over again, that truth really is stranger than fiction. And that some of these stories, if they weren't true, people would be like, there's no way that could happen. (laughs) Yes. My editor's notes would pop up and say, did this really happen? Did this really happen? And yes, it did. She had to just be an incredibly tough person. She was. And one of the biggest difficulties I had writing it was my beta readers kept coming back and saying, this is fascinating, but she's just such a difficult person. And the reader needs to sympathize with and align with the protagonist. Can we make her more likable? Can we make her more motherly? But Virginia Hall was never described as likable. Her niece described her as scary smart and intimidating and Virginia Hall had difficult relationships with a lot of the Maquis commanders, the men who were fighting in the guerrilla factions in the mountains, because she just, she didn't suffer fools and she was a no-nonsense person. And she also carried, I think, a very high degree of survival guilt from difficulties in her first mission, along with her own personal trauma. 
And so she just wasn't a warm and fuzzy person. Part of the challenge was getting the reader to align with her, which my editor helped me do brilliantly by showing a young Virginia and by tapping into some of the emotions that she was feeling through her post-traumatic stress, through that guilt, because these are all emotions that we can feel with her. And understand a little better where she's coming from. Exactly. Well, that was so interesting. And I read about that at the end of the book. And I thought a lot about it since then. And I suppose if you are that tough and you do have that kind of guilt, but also it's her mission. I mean, she just kind of felt this calling. You're probably not going to be the most likable person because you're not really worried about that portion of it. Sure. And uh, I think a lot of the men in the field, would nobody would have ever said, oh, you need to be more likable. It was just, I think, jarring for men to see a woman to take such an alpha role among them. Ultimately, they really fell in line, though. I think it just took a little adjustment for some of them, especially at the time period. Ultimately, she really could tap into diplomacy at the end of the day and get people to work with her on her terms, but they, they, they did fall in line. Very true. And also, she had to prove herself a couple of times. Absolutely. Yes. So when these people see her, she's dressed in an old woman disguise. She limps. She has a terrible French accent that plagued her. So she had a lot to overcome to get these people to trust her. But once she did, they were loyal to the death. Well, her story is a very long one, and she accomplished so much in her life. How did you narrow down to writing about the portion of her life that you did? That was a part of the wrestling for this book. And it took me a really long time. It took me many, many iterations of the novel. So first, I started at the beginning. And I, I wanted to cover her time during World War II. I also wanted to make it relevant to the present day. So in the first iteration, I had Virginia's story, and then I had a woman from the Iraq war years who was also a survivor with a prosthetic, and I was contrasting the two of them together. But it came, after about 150 pages, I realized that Virginia Hall's story was way too big for that. It was too much. And so I took out the more present-day component, and I started writing Virginia's first mission in Leon at the beginning of the war. When I got to the end of that, though, I realized there was so much more story to be told and thought maybe I should include another female SOE agent who had a different story. And then I finally realized that all of that was backstory for her second mission in France. And I had to write it from that point forward. When I finally realized the story that I was trying to tell was the final mission, just it took a lot of deleted pages before I got there. And they were useful for flashbacks and just understanding her completely. It was really kind of a necessary exercise to write so much before getting to the actual meat of the story. So I'm glad ultimately that that's how it worked out. Well, and you must have had to do just an enormous, enormous amount of research. Yes. Now, that, that is my favorite part of writing historical fiction. I could research forever, but I do actually have to do something with it. But because Virginia was from Maryland, I was able to get to some of her homes in the area. The National Archives in College Park have her files. I was able to go read those. The CIA Museum is just across the border of Maryland and Virginia and McLean. So I was able to apply as a researcher and go to the CIA Museum to see some of the artifacts associated with her work, her passports, the tricks of the trade. And then finally, her niece, Lorna, still lives in Baltimore. So I had many lunches with Lorna, and she really brought Virginia to life for me. I had all this information from biographies and research, but Lorna made a person of Virginia for me. Gave you a very personal perspective. Exactly. Does she get interviewed all the time about Virginia Hall? Well, it's interesting. She said that for years, she wasn't. And then all of a sudden, people kept reaching out to her. 
And this, this kind of happened when I wrote Call Me Zelda, where there was a suddenly the collective unconscious bubbled up for the Fitzgerald. So there were four novels about Zelda. The Gatsby movie came out. The same thing, strangely, happened with Virginia Hall. So when I wrote about her, I hadn't heard anything. And there was sort of an obscure biography and then, of course, all the research work at the different archives. But then a new biography came out for Penguin last year, A Woman of No Importance. There's a film, A Call to Spy. She started to kind of bubble up. So Lorna was reached out to quite a bit in a short period of time by many different people doing different projects about Virginia. It is very funny how certain stories will just sit there dormant and they suddenly pop up. It's kind of interesting, that phenomenon. It is. And it happens a lot. You see it and you think, oh, why is everybody writing about this? But if we all usually don't know what each other are writing about until the publication starts. So these things are really happening behind the scenes. Well, and was any of the documentation regarding Virginia Hall classified? So would it have been under lock and key until a certain time period? Yes. So everything, I believe it was declassified in the late 80s at the National Archives. So all the files are marked with declassified and any photographs I took, I had to have the declassified notation on them within the photograph. And I believe there's some of her files that are still classified from her time when she was in the CIA. So she traveled all throughout, and I believe including Southeast Asia. So there's, there are things that we don't have access to yet. And what was it like touring the CIA museum? That just sounds fascinating. Did they walk you straight to her items and let you just see that and then escort you out? Or were you able to look around at other things? Oh, no, they took me through everything. And so the CIA was born in the OSS, which was her war organization. So they started at the beginning showing how they trained the agents for World War II in hand-to-hand combat, silent killing, how to sneak underwater without breathing or showing bubbles. It's just fascinating. And then they progressed through time. And then we got to Virginia's display. And then we went on from there to the present day. That is so cool. I loved seeing that. Well, what do you hope your readers take away from the book? I really think now more than ever that we need stories of redemption and courage and goodness and triumph in spite of adversity. And this, these stories, I think that's why World War II fiction is so popular, because the stakes are very high, and there are just endless stories of courage of the men and women who fought there, whether they were with an organization or they were the everyday people in the resistance that supported these officers and agents and trained people. Part of the reason I wrote The Invisible Woman was to show not only do we have Virginia Hall, who was extraordinary, But the people she recruits and interacts with are just everyday men and women. They're from upper and lower classes. They're young. They're old. One of them is a young boy who actually ended up running weapons for the resistance in his wagon. He was decorated after the war for his work doing that. So it was just highlighting all the different people who work together for a cause. I loved seeing that in your notes at the end that he actually was decorated for that. Yeah. (laughs) I love World War II historical fiction, and I think it's for exactly what you're saying. It's just the stories of these people, and it isn't just their whole life extraordinary people like Virginia Hall, but it's all these everyday people who are willing to put their life on the line to support freedom and to fight for it, and that they don't mind the consequences. I just find that so amazing. I do too. The things that they do, the things they endure, the way they have so much fortitude. It's very motivating. It's humbling. And it's something that I hope that if I were in their shoes, I could have done. Well, how did you come up with the title for this one? Well, that's funny because that is not the first or the second or the 50th title. We went through 8,000 titles and 
I'd started it out with The Shadow of All, which was a line from a poem that was in a resistance paper, but everybody just felt like it was too literary and didn't exactly say what the book was about. So then we went through various spy type titles, codename Artemis, codename Diane, but then all the codename books started popping up. So we pulled that at the last minute. And then I think it was my editor who came up with The Invisible Woman, because the book is very much about identity. So it's set up into four sections, and she goes in, the first section is called Artemis. That was the codename, the Nazis. That's what they called Virginia Hall. They didn't know what she was, but they called her Artemis. And then she, as a play on that, changed her code name with her organization to Diane as the different goddesses of the hunt. And then the next section, it's called La Madonna, because when she arrived in one of the villages, she had a covering on her head and they thought she looked like the Madonna, the Virgin Mary. And then the final section is Virginia. And that's when she comes into her own, when she sort of meets all the goals that she was going to meet when she's able to take the disguise off. And so because it is about identity, that became the title that really spoke best to what the story was about and its themes. Well, I love it. And then when I was done, I was kind of thinking more about it. And I thought it was the perfect title. Oh, good. It took a it, like, like the book, it took a lot of work to get there. But when we finally did, it felt right. And actually, the final design, the jacket of the book has on the on the spine, a woman who's sort of invisible, she's cloaked. So it's a really beautiful package when it's all said and done. Well, that was going to be my next question because I'm all about covers is tell me about the cover process. They've always asked the author, what do you envision? And you make up, I make a Pinterest board and then I include them in to see the different images I'm thinking of. And because so much of this book happens and the way she sort of gains trust in her networks is to coordinate these supply drops that bring supplies so that the people can fight and live. So I thought this would be sort of a moonlight cover with a moonlight drop of an airplane. And they took what I had thought about the drops of the airplanes and they changed the perspectives that they were looking down on her. And then there was the motion in the grass from the airplanes and their shadows. And that's where they came up with that cover, which I just think is so striking. There's so much motion and energy in it. I I couldn't ask for, I think, a better cover. And it's so representative of the story. Yes, yes. We give them a morsel and then the creative department, the art department just takes it and makes something really special. At least they they did in this case and I'm really happy with it. It's always fascinating to hear how that process unfolds and, you know, what the resulting, the end product is. Yeah, they they really nailed it too because I've worked on other covers with them where they, they give you a couple different concept designs and then you're back and forth. This one, it was really always that image with the perspective and shadows of the airplanes, but we ended up just tweaking the direction the wind was blowing, the way the book was colored, whether it looked sepia or black and white, that kind of thing. And I love the red title. Oh yeah, very striking. And the cover, the spine now has that red picked up in her in her cloak. Do you have a favorite of the books you've written? And then do you have a favorite character that you've written? I was just talking about this with my son. I said, it feels like someone asking me to pick my favorite child. It's usually the one that I'm working on now, which I'm writing a new book and it will come out early next year. And I'm so into that right now, the characters, I just, I can't wait to share them. So that's probably where my heart is right now. But in terms of my favorite, The Invisible Woman to me is kind of the summit of what I've been working toward in fiction, where I want something that's a cross between something very commercial that will appeal to men and women, young and old. It's a page turner, but at the same time, it has the deeper themes that the book clubs really enjoy access to. 
for example, Hemingway's Girl, I think, was very commercial. And I think The House of Hawthorne was very literary. But I think The Invisible Woman is the marriage of the two that I've been really trying to work toward. Well, I think it will definitely meet both men and women wanting to read it. And then there's so much for book clubs to discuss. Yeah, you can really dive deep into it. And actually, that biography that came out, A Woman of No Importance, would be an excellent follow-up for people who are very interested in Virginia Hall, because Sonia Purnell gets so deeply into the detail and the fact behind all of it, which is so interesting. And I really wish that biography had been written when I started doing all of this, but... Oh, well, what can you do? I have the galley, but I still have not read it. So I need to. And after you talked about it at the end of your book, and after I really enjoyed learning more about Virginia Hall, I need to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. What about a favorite character? Oh, my favorite character I can answer easily. It's one of the men she recruited. She recruited him during her first mission. His code name is Louis. In real life, he is Marcel Lucia, and he became an SOE agent with her. He was someone who I think did a really good job drawing her out of that serious ice and stone veneer that she'd put on. He would tease her. He called her auntie, even though she was only seven years older than he was. And he really helped to lighten her. But he was also an excellent, courageous, even sort of reckless in his courage, which I don't want to give any spoilers, but he sort of reaped what he sowed. But he, I really enjoyed getting to know him in history and then making him a sort of a foil for Virginia to lighten her up a little bit. Well, I really liked that character. And that actually reminds me of something I wanted to discuss a little bit and I had not brought up and was how strong your sense of place and sense of characters are. I mean, I just felt like I knew the characters, you know, their personalities, like you were talking about Louis, Virginia's personality, but also I just felt like I was right there with her so much of the time, which that's hard to do. And you just did it so well. Oh, thank you. And I have to thank Google Maps and YouTube because obviously I even before the lockdowns, I have three kids in school and it's not easy to jet over to France or Madrid if I need to. So I have a treadmill that allowed me to walk a Pyrenees climb. I have all of these technology things at my fingertips. So I was able to go into the settings. I would trace her her routes on Google Maps and just pretend as if I were on a bicycle riding through the countryside. And that helped me so much with setting. And then in terms of people, my process, after this is my seventh book, so I really have the process that I use down that's best for me. So I start with the things that are farther away, the biographies, and then I move in closer if there's any autobiographical material, if I can get to any letters or family photographs, if there's any kind of interviews from the person where I can get their voice, talk to people who knew them. And by narrowing in that way, By the time I get through everything, I really do feel like I know the people that I'm writing about, so I'm able to crawl into their skin a little bit. Well, that definitely shows. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, you referenced it a little bit, but we didn't really talk about it yet. What are you working on now? Well, in looking at Virginia Hall's story, it was sort of inspired by an editor. When I kept writing all these wife of famous man books, the editor said, could you just write about a woman who's famous in her own right or did her own extraordinary thing? And I said, well, yes, that's brilliant, actually. That's when I found Virginia Hall. So following that, I also have found another, it's two women, actually, who are extraordinary in their own right. And one of the women is another American who married a Frenchman and became a part of the Comet Line, smuggling pilots out of France. And the other woman is an SOE agent. And the reason the two of these women work so well together is become they come from very different backgrounds 
and their stories converge at Ravensbrück concentration camp. Both of them resisted in different ways. They were very different women, but they're brought together through these terrible circumstances. And their stories are just beautiful and bold and inspiring and in some ways tragic. Uh, So that's what I'm uh, into right now, working on the revisions. Oh, that sounds like it will be good, but tough. It's it's rough. It is a rough book. And I couldn't have written about the one on her own because it would have been too rough. So that's why we have the two who complement each other and to lift our hearts a little bit. If I know it's going to be super grim, I just think, I don't know that I can do this. But it's nice then to have the contrasting characters so that it's not all grim. It is. And the, and the character, the woman whose story needs a little levity put up against it is one that tried to sort of elbow her way into Virginia Hall's story, but their stories did not converge. They never met in person. They were both part of the SOE, but they never crossed each other's paths. So I had put her to the side and I actually had a dream. And she said, you keep abandoning me and I want a book. And I said, it's too sad. And then I realized when I was doing the research for this next book with this American woman, that the agent met her at Ravensbrook. And she said, you just, you can't deny me anymore. So I wrote her in there and it worked out so beautifully. Oh, that's just wild that you had a dream. Oh yeah. It was, it was intense. She, I would say she pursued wanting her story to be told. And so I think it all turned out really, really well. Oh, I just love that. That's something that's always fascinating to me, not being a writer at all. When authors talk about characters telling them their story or talking to them, I just, I can't really imagine that, but it sounds so cool. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a radio where you're listening for frequencies and there's static and then sometimes it just becomes very sharp and you can hear everything. When everything works out well and you find the subject I think that wants to be found, that's where that the magic happens. Well, and you reference the switching to not the wives of famous men, but famous women themselves at the end of your book. And then you have something about there being a subgenre for husbands of famous women. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Virginia Hall's husband, who is the most dear man, Paul Goyla, he was a Frenchman also in the uh, OSS, actually. But when they came home to the United States to live eventually, He was sort of a house husband for her. They had five French poodles. They could never have children for whatever reason. And he took care of the dogs and he cooked for her and she went to the CIA and she worked and they had a really beautiful partnership. But so I love that idea of that subgenre. So at some point, I'm expecting you to start writing those stories. Before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you have read recently that you really liked and would recommend. Oh, yes. I have so many. It's so hard to thin. But I'm going to take the ones that I've most recently read that are out right now. And the first one I have to plug is Our Darkest Night by Jennifer Robeson. It just came out. It's set in Italy during World War II. A man who was studying to be a Catholic priest who leaves the priesthood and a young Jewish woman. It is so beautiful. It's dazzling. It's romantic. It's terrifying. It's everything in a sweeping, beautiful story. Also just finished The Universe of Two by Stephen Kiernan. And that one I think came out in December or earlier in the fall. And it's about a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project to create the bombs for the end of World War II. So there's a lot of really interesting conscience type exercises the reader goes through. But also there's a really beautiful love story on those pages. And then finally, right now I'm currently about halfway through The Yellow Wife by Sadiqa Johnson about a slave woman who is trying to survive in this brutal system and trying to make a better life for her children and the things that she has to do. And it is 
absolutely riveting and heartbreaking and really, I think, a very important book. I agree completely. And I actually just recently interviewed her for that. She had the same sort of story about the story speaking to her and kind of grabbing her and wouldn't let her go till she told it. There you go. And I love Jennifer Robeson and her last book, The Gown, was one of my favorites of that year. And I really still need to read this new one. Oh, it's so good. Jennifer is so good. I read her first book, Somewhere in France. I think I've read that two or three times. Well, I hosted her actually for a literary salon that we have here in Houston in non-pandemic times. And she brought this framed piece of lace that was from the dress or, you know, similar to the dress. And I've heard such great things about this book and I need way more hours in the day. I know. Don't we all, right? (laughs) Well, Erica, I have so enjoyed speaking with you and thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh, I've enjoyed it so much. It was great to finally talk to you live on audio. I know. I feel like we've communicated so much on social media and email and everything. So it was very nice to connect in person. Yes. And thank you for highlighting the book. I really appreciate your coverage. Oh, of course. I absolutely love it. And I plan to tell every single person I know to read it once it comes out. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Erica's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.